You're tuned in to another episode of Recruitment Entrepreneurs by Recruit CRM. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Recruitment Entrepreneurs by Recruit CRM. And today I have uh, the, the awesome Jonathan Clues from Student Bridge. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm good. And, 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 and Jonathan, to get, to get started, can, can we sort of start with what you do at Student Bridge? Yeah. Well, I guess uh, the best thing is I do everything because I'm a CEO and founder. Um, so I do okay, a lot of cool. I do a lot, but I try not to get too deep in any one area. So, uh, so sure. And what does the company do? Like, what's the what's the core business? Oh, I see. So, what does Student Bridge? Yes. Yeah, so, okay. So, Student Bridge, we are a technology software um, for really enabling video delivery for the recruitment of students. So, we create video experiences okay. that allow a prospective student learn about a potential institution, and so that is a core part of our business. We deliver that through what we call video view books, interactive campus maps. We've got an in-person tour application. So, so, so can you give this to me from the perspective of a student? Say I was a student looking to go to maybe, can you name one of your clients? Like Boston that, University. Like that. Boston University. So if I was a student, I wanted to go to Boston University, which of your products would I like to interact with? Yeah, but the, so we actually work more like a white label. So we, we embed ourselves very much into the the, the school, sure. the EDU's existing marketing materials. And so sure. but what we do is create high impact um, experiences. So we we are embedded into their website. So it, it feels like you're sure. always at the Boston website, but if you're in person, you're going to get a Boston branded experience. So we, we build branded experiences for universities. Um, I, but yeah, video experiences. Uh, I mean, we, we see video. Got it. And did, so to cut you in there, so if I went to bostonuniversity.com or just went to their website, like which parts of the website, if I clicked on, would I see stuff that was basically your tech? Yeah, Ad- admissions. So we really help the admissions pages, admissions enrollment. Got so it. it's all Got about it. recruitment of students. Got it. Brilliant. And and how did you get into this? Because this this isn't like something that you know someone wakes up one day and goes like, I'm going to build tech for colleges. <laughs> no, and I, th- I think like most things in life are probably a sequence of events versus one event. Um, so I have a very un- untraditional background. I used to be a professional race car driver. So I speak fast, awesome. move fast. Everything I do goes fast. And so um, after winning two championships and 20-odd races, when I finally hung my helmet up, I, I got into the internet. Just, just what should I jump into? And it's too late for me to go and get a law degree or a doctor, doctorate. Okay. So I went and uh, jumped into the internet. Where and and, no and which, which competition did you race then? A Formula cars. So I uh, oh crazy I Formula Four Championship. I was the US Rookie of the Year over here in something called Formula Two Thousand. I was trying to get to Formula that's amazing. One. Yeah, that's amazing, incredible. And and how's that transition been, right? Because that's like a different world. Well, it's a very different world, Sean. But the transition, in many ways, it's is actually far more parallel than you'd ever think. Uh, a ruthlessly competitive, which you need to be as an yeah. entrepreneur. Uh, take failure on the chin, learn from it, and come back and win. Totally not. I mean, I won 20 races, but I didn't win 100 races. So yeah, even though I had sure. a good winning record, it's a bit like a batting average. You know, you still got to learn from all the ones you don't win. Um, three, it's even though that the CEO and all the brand and all the driver are in the spotlight, the car doesn't go around the track without a good team rep behind it. And so yeah. it really teaches you that while you might have the spotlight, how to kind of and, how to bring a build a team. And Jonathan, to cut in there, right? So did you go straight from being race car driver to entrepreneur or did you have like a normal day job in the middle? 
no, no day job. Uh, well, what, what, so when you race cars, great question, Sean. When you race yeah. cars, um, look, I, the series had 18 races a year. Well, that's a weekend, so that's 36 days a year. Maybe I've tested another 20 days. So 56 days a year, I was driving a car. For 300 days of the year, I had to be an entrepreneur, marketing myself, I'm marketing my, the, 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 the challenge or the excitement of being involved with a race car driver for sponsorship. I was raising millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands to a million. Um, and so there was, there was a big marketing and entrepreneurial push and you had to be entrepreneurial because everyone tells you no. And so again, it's working out how to move through and, and, and kind of get funded for your dream. Got it. That, that gives me a lot of context. And how did you get into like, and even before we go into how you got into race car driving, can we can we just go back for 10 seconds and talk about your story growing up? Because you obviously don't sound like you were born in America. So are you from the UK? Is, is that, is that right? Gave it away. Yeah, no, I'm from London, England. So uh, okay. I was born in England and moved to the States. So my parents always had like a lot of love affair for America. We'd come, every year we'd come over for vacations and holidays here. Um, my dad actually used to have a house in Houston. So I got a lot of exposure to America. And um, when my racing career, when I won the British Championship, it was America. I wanted to come and race in IndyCar. I was Formula One stroke IndyCar. Yeah. So came across to America in the 90s. Oh, cool. Incredible. And so when you started this business, right? So this is obviously a very tech, techie or tech-led business because it's yeah. not like a traditional recruitment type business. Right. So so how did you get like the tech? Like, are you a, did you learn how to code yourself or did you partner with a great developer or hire them? Like, how did that work out? Well, remember I was saying that like, life normally is like an evolution of multiple different yeah. things versus just to wake up one day and say, I'm going to do this. So one of my first jobs, if you want to call that, after um, retiring from racing, literally a couple of weeks later, someone from the racing world hired me as director of marketing for an internet company. And so that was my exposure okay. to the internet. I was like, okay, now I'm gonna, they knew I was a good marketer from all my marketing that I did for myself. And they wanted me to apply to their, their new dot-com startup. This is literally in 2000 during the dot-com crash. And so I, uh, I I just got the baptism of fire. I mean, I was head of marketing. I was head of product. What, what was that company called? What was the dot com called? It was called BetSpot. It's not around anymore. It was a person to person betting. It was it was a really brilliant idea. They just uh, unfortunately it was underfunded, but uh, the dot com crack didn't help that either. Um, they raised about a million bucks, and our competitor raised forty two million. So we were just outgunned at every every intersection. But it was a uh, it was it was a great learning experience. It really got me to the sharp end of the internet development, especially when it came to not just brochure websites, but websites that actually did something. So functional database-driven websites. Um, and you know, we built the, the website itself, the build back then was over a million dollars for the, the build price. So um, you know, it was a big deal and I was running it. So uh, so that's kind of where where I got my my kind of baptism into the internet. Got it. And and so in this team, when you started out, what did the founding team look like? Yeah, so basically when BetSwap didn't make it, unfortunately, um, I, I actually at the time started just a web development agency. I was like, look, you know, there's a lot of people out there in the early 2000s with big ideas, and there's a lot of people out there that are going to develop those ideas for them, but no one spoke business sense. There was the techies were really good at tech, but not great at business. These guys didn't speak tech. So we started a company to be like the middle layer. It was called iMedia8, with the idea to mediate your idea, Sean, with a bunch of developers, and we'd sit sure. there mediating. Um, that business, I'm proud to say, is going strong 22 years later. I mean, it's, it's really one of the, the bigger, more, more prolific businesses helping the NGOs out of Switzerland. Um, so we help the international... How, how big is it today from in terms of like revenue scale and employees? Is it like 
but tens uh, of millions or hundreds of millions or no it's, it's tens i mean it's it's sub sub 10 actually um very much a lifestyle business my my business partner in the uk runs very much a lifestyle it. business. is I've it never, is it is it under five or over five million dollars over five okay so five to ten million bucks and yeah yeah i'm, I'm guessing like 20 employees or something like that yeah just over that so yes yeah cool cool cool, cool. incredible yeah, uh, but it's a, it's a great business. It does really well. Um, profitable, big profit. It works on big profits. I actually stepped away from it now, so I'm just a kind of a silent advisor on it. But uh, but yeah. my business partner that, that I gave the reins to has done a great job with it. And um, But that business really kind of gave me that you ask about. I don't have a background in development. In fact, I'm very – I think you asked about entrepreneurism. I think one of the key skills all humans need to do is understand their limits. Like, yeah. And I know I'm sure. not good at developing. So – my job was to think of the ideas and hire great talent to come and make it happen. And so that was the start of what we call RealView TV. And RealView TV, we founded in 2001, which was born out of the web development agency. And that was um, a video delivery platform. So okay. back in 2001, we were like, hey, video is going to take over the web. This is going to be the future. And so we developed a, an interactive video delivery platform to stream content in a far more interactive way. And so that's mm-hmm. that's the first business that I really raised funding for. Got it. And 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 so did that transition into being Student Bridge or like? Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you so rebranded it, or is it a myself. separate business? Yeah. So I mediate. I funded myself was a complete um, kind of bootstrap business. I didn't go to friends and family. I literally went to banks and credit card companies and got myself into a lot of debt. About half half of it was <laughs> okay. debt, which is scary. At one point, Sean, my minimum payments on my debt. For the banks were about three and a half thousand pounds a month, which is about four and a half thousand dollars. But yeah. my interest was five thousand. So every month I was paying this money and still going deeper in the hole because all the credit cards were like twenty. That sounds horrible. It was how, horrible. how did you fix that problem? How, how did you fix it? Did you have to like declare bankruptcy or did you I like thought, raise well, funding? Yeah, or? I was down to going bankrupt. That's definitely an option. But the business was actually going well. Um, just, okay. just my hole was big, but the business was actually growing very nicely. Um, and so. I just, you know, reality is I just fixed it through sensible money management. I just separate, I, I, I did some balance transfers to get 0% for nine months and I just paid off the highest balances first and then slowly, slowly st- started accelerating the debt payoff. So it took about six years to seven years to pay off the debt, but I did it. So, so you're like one of those named Ramsey pay off your debt type stories in that, in that well, sense. Well, I've done it. I guess I am. I mean, like, look, I, I literally at one point, I think I was down to my last $100. Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. That, 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 that's great to know, though. So it, it wasn't always like went from driving race cars to starting a business, became a millionaire. Oh, overnight. it was rough. <laughs> oh, it was rough. I mean, so the business was started in a bedroom and then it moved to my, fr- my friend's living rooms. His parents went away for two months and then we went to a storage unit. I mean, it was, we've had some rough years. And in the 20 years that and is it right to say you've been in business for 20 years with this specific 20. business? With yep. 22. Have, have you raised how much capital outside capital have you raised? Or have you not raised any? Yeah, no, we have. So, so basically, RealV TV, I raised a very small amount in the UK, sure. and then in 2006, I was introduced to a, a a very predominant investor in the southeast here, and we raised two and a half million dollars in 2006 for a okay. 2007 launch. That then went up to about four and a bit million, and then what we did was we created Student Bridge to acquire RealV TV. So RealV TV by then had customers in every single industry: healthcare, automotive. Hospitality and education, but we felt that we'd go. We, we really wanted to double down on education. Um, and you asked why, and I, I can definitely share that with you. But we created Student Bridge as a new co, um, raised raised about another four million, bought out Realview TV, 
And then yeah, since then, we've raised about another six. So we've raised about 10 or 11 million for Student Bridge so far. Got it. And and was 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 a large part of the initial capital mainly for just acquiring the other business and cleaning up that cap table? Was that yeah. most of the race? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, 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 had, we've had kind of more OPEX than CAPEX capital. So it wasn't really what we ever got a huge check and said, go and build a load of stuff and get going. It's always been kind of like more like life supply, kind of like a lifeline Got supply. It. And, and, is, and is, is Student Bridge like more like a SaaS subscription business where you charge universities like a certain amount of money for your technology? Yeah, it's, it's foundation like... very much SaaS. So, so there's an annual okay. subscription to our software. And then when you yeah. buy the software, you also get access to our pro services team, which would be content creators and, and people like that. And then um, so sure. it, the revenue is about 40, 60, 40%. For services, pro services, sixty percent. And what does the average university sort of pay you, right? Like, is, is the average university giving you a couple hundred grand, or like fifty grand, or ten grand a year? Like, what, so, what does that? Yeah. No, the the average university right now is, I mean, the average would be about fifty to hundred would be the sweet spot for the got initial it. signing. But we've got we we sign them. We try to sign up three year contracts. Um, we accept one year if we have to. There's definitely reasons to do a three year. Um, but then um, most of our customers stay with seven to 10 years anyway. So we have a very good life, life, lifetime value. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. And, and now that you've raised like 10, 12 million on this business, have you been able to scale the business to that five to 10 million in, in yeah, contracts? Absolutely. Or is it, is it bigger, yeah. smaller? No, I mean, it's, it's, it's busting through the five, aiming for 10 to, to give you kind of some like general terms. Um, it's a it's a hard graft. I'm not. You know, I think we're all wishing we got to where we were with half the capital um, and faster. My, my, my investor always said it takes twice as long, costs twice as much, and he was right. Yeah. Because um, yeah. we've taken twice as long as we hoped, and we've cut, spent twice as much. Um, we've got real value in the business now. That's I think that's the peace of mind. Is yeah, of we course. just give enterprise value, come back as as real enterprise value that gives everyone a return on their investment. And, and, and how do you how do you value a business like yours? Would you value your business like a traditional SaaS business at, say, four to ten times your subscription base, in a sense? Is yeah, well, so you... what you do with a business like us, you kind of, you have to, to break it up and you go, right, the SaaS base is worth X and the those stuff is worth X. You bring it together for a combined multiple. Got it. Is your SaaS, is the SaaS part of your business over five mil already? Or is no, it that's, around that? That's, that's approaching five mil. Five mil. So yeah. one to five. And so a, lot of, a lot of PE firms really want your SaaS side to be five mil. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you want to do. And and so now now that I have you, right, unlike a traditional recruitment entrepreneur, you're you're building, you built a tech business, right? You built a successful tech business that has a services layer on it that probably helps you drive EBITDA and, and scale. How do you how do you think about ownership? Right. Because you've been doing this for a long time. You know, you're not one of those started and flip it type entrepreneurs. Right. Yeah, from and my so, heart, sometimes that could have been a better way to go. But you're actually right. I have not been a started flip it entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do you think about ownership and equity? Because obviously, if you've raised multiple rounds of capital as as are you the solo founder? Are you like the sole founder and a team around? Yeah. You, or yeah, you yeah, yeah. OK, great. Uh, that, that, it's a big challenge. So look, uh, yeah. life's about learning as you go, and yeah. uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So, so if I knew now what I knew then, I may have done something different, but I of didn't. Course. And given the data and knowledge I had at the time, I think I made the right decisions. Um, I think that uh, look, if I had advice for entrepreneurs right now, I would definitely try and for me, what if I when I do my next one, um, I would like to have a technical co-founder. 
because having all the best ideas in the world, if you don't have someone that's willing to kind of maybe scratch their head and come up with something with you and and kind of map it out and maybe build an MVP and just kind of build a prototype. That another kind of question around the same thing. If you were starting starting up again today in 2022, would you still raise capital or raise as much capital as you did? Or would you try to go bootstrap with the money you have? What journey would you pick and why? Well, I think that's, again, to give good advice to anyone, that's a scenario-based answer. So yeah. I told you already I was down to my last $100. So at that point, take as much as you can. Because yeah. what have you got to lose, right? I mean, just, you're, you're already yeah. up against the ropes. Just go for it. Um, if I've had an exit or two exits or I'm sitting on some cash or I've got a rich family, mm-hmm. you, you might do something different, which is, start, look, I think it I think it bodes well to hold off on raising capital till as late as you yeah. can afford to do so. Got it. Got it. And and what does what are the future plans for your current business? Do you, do you plan to scale it to that five, 10 million in the SaaS piece and then get a PE firm in to buy 60, 70, 80% so that they can like work with you to take it to IPO over another five, yeah. seven, eight years? Or absolutely. Um, we'll have it, we've got a, our, our investor is a professional investor. And yeah. so he has very much only one win, which is an exit. I mean, that's the only win he has. Yeah. For me, yeah. I have a win every day when I come in and we win a deal or we bring on a great talent yeah. recruit writer. But I have many wins and he has one big win and that's it. It's holding out for the finish line. And yeah. so without doubt, we have to have a transaction in our future. Um, the beauty of our business now is that we have optionality in those transactions. So it may not be a P firm. It may look to, to merge with a company. It might be that we acquire someone else. It might be that we get acquired by a trade sale. Um, so we are, we're kind of, the beauty of someone running a business, not, if we had a timeline, we've got to get out of this business in three years. That that's stressful. You to accept, exactly. You, it forces you to just take the best deal at that time. No, and, 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 not, and, and I imagine at your scale, it's also more comfortable, right? You're not with just four people anymore, five people. I, I imagine at five to 10 million in revenue, you're like 30, 40, 50 people, maybe more. Uh, yeah, what does the team look like? Well, we are, uh, in fact, so because we just raised some money, we're actually, we're above on headcount where we should be on revenue. So, in fact, we were about 60 people, 62 people, oh, wow. all, our, all cool. of our consultants. We've got some offshore consultants. But, look, uh, Sean, without without doubt, where we are right now is, no, we're not comfortable. There's no such thing as being comfortable. If we are comfortable in, yeah. like the race car, remember you asked about a race car? If a race car is comfortable to drive, you're not going fast enough. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. the, same, exactly the same in business. If you're comfortable... You're not doing so. You, you become complacent. Um, just this morning, I was having a rah-rah conversation about cheerleading and getting the energy up and making sure that we close Q1 after the highest. You know, there's no never a time to be comfortable. Um, and, and reality is that we're probably in the hardest stage of a business right now. You know, running a business sub one, two million, you, you've got you've got you've got a small resource, you've got small problems, you can deal with them directly. With your customers, hundred million, you've got like loads of middle management, upper management, you can deal with stuff. We're, we're in probably the hardest part going through that kind of three to 10 million. No, for an I, I, I totally feel you because we are there too. We are between three and 10 mil and we have 65 employees. So I, I get exactly where you're at. <laughs> yeah. And it just changes the whole look of the life of business. Yeah. I said to someone the other day, I said, look, if every single employee had a legitimate issue they need help with for, and it takes an hour a week, You've got you've got to find someone who's got sixty five hours in their week just to deal with just employee issues, and then you still haven't got any work done. So yeah. so basically, yeah, it's a, it's a real and, scaling issue. And, and of course, when you scale, you've got to go deep. And and one of the points of stress for most venture backed founders is also like managing like the zero cash date or the burn rate and like figuring out how long the money is lasting. 
So when you look at revenue versus spend and burn, what numbers are you sort of comfortable with? So let's say you're doing half a million a month in revenue. Are you comfortable spending six, seven hundred grand or a million? Like how much, at what point do you feel like the burn's too much and it, it stresses you out where you need to start cutting? Well, so that's a scenario-based thing as well, Sean. At um, your current situation, so let's there, say. There's like, times when we've gone two years just, just generating cash every month. Because oh, wow. okay. that's what that's what we had to do. I mean, just just back when when the pandemic first fell, it was like, look, investment dried up. Everyone was worried what was going to happen. You know, you can't burn cash. Get cash flow positive. And we built up a really nice cash reserve. And we were we built up zero to one point three million in less than twelve months in cash. So we just Incredible. generated it ourselves. Um, but when you generate cash, and this is kind of interesting. It's kind of I'd love one day when I've had some successful exits to go and challenge a bunch of VCs and private equity firms, but because obviously they're smarter than I am. But like, if I only need cash to invest and run negatively EBITDA, right? So so right now, we came into this year with the opportunity. We always present our investor two to three plans. One is cash flow. We don't need you. This is what the business will do as growth. Or you accelerate, like, like your car. You, you accelerate harder onto the freeway. You're going to burn more fuel doing it. You get up to speed quicker. And it's the same with the business. So it's it's always giving the investor optionality of where do they want to invest and what story and what long do they want to get behind? Which which one can you defend that they can get behind that, to mitigate their risk? Um, more cash in. I, I can't give you a return if you're not investing. I can only give you a return of your money if you're investing. And then and then that way I can uh, I can go faster. So right now you know we've hired um, we're, we're hiring ten more people for, for marketing. So you're not- so so would you say Jonathan like right now you're in the mode where you're just putting your leg on the pedal and going at it and being like you're going to burn a little more money or yeah. maybe maybe a lot more money but it's going, exactly to be worth it. it's going to be worth it in 24 months that's right you, and that's you it so look, you've got to have you can't you, you there's no such thing as a one-year investment roi um, sure. tech takes too sure. long to build marketing takes too long to build up the leads so what we're doing now has a return really in 18 months got it and since you do sell these multi-year enterprise contact uh, contracts how much are you willing to spend for each dollar of like annual SaaS revenue? So like, do you spend like two or three dollars for like one dollar of an ACV, like on an average? I understand. So yeah. that's, a, that's a well-known SaaS metric about dollar yeah. spent, dollar return. Um, yeah. And then of course you could look at it over an LTV as well to say, hey, look, we're going to get it sure. back. Um, sure. But we we basically haven't really this year. Look, we've gone through these different evolutions of the business. We've sure. spent some sure. cash, got some traction. Now show you can go cash flow break even. We've done that. Now, now show that you can sell hundred thousand dollars solutions over the phone. We've done that. Um, don't you know? So we cut our travel costs. Not going in person. So, so we keep challenging ourselves with different business. This year, the goal wasn't really to say, "Hey, let's spend three dollars to gain a dollar." You asked about annual contract value. When we sign a hundred thousand dollars, that's over three years. So that's thirty thousand a year. We've got a goal to get our ACV annual contract value to fifty thousand dollars just for the software, and so that's going to take us two or three years. The software is not that; it's just not. It can't command that price yet. It hasn't got that value in the market. So we're doing a lot of deep engineering and data engineering to make sure that we come back to the market with. They're buying what we sell now, but it's just got. But, a but, in, but in terms of like this, just the sales and marketing, like S and M costs to get that thirty-three thousand to fifty thousand a year contract. Or a hundred thousand over three-year contract that you're going to scale in year two or year three, would you be willing to spend a hundred grand upfront, or is it more like you'd be willing to spend just the first year's revenue? 
Oh no, I mean, look, we're, we're put. I mean, on our small business, we're putting two and a half million dollars into it this year alone. So, Got it. But 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 like when you put in two and a half mil in sales and marketing, do you do you need well, that? Definitely not put two and a half in sales and marketing. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mostly, it's going to it's going to tech development. We really are doubling Got our sales it. and marketing teams are pretty stout. Um, we've got them in a pretty good shape. It's really, right. but but, um, but you wouldn't, but you wouldn't normally count R and D spend into CAC, right? When you're doing cost of customer acquiring no, customers, you just do sales and marketing. Yep. Yeah. Right. No. I'll, so yeah, we we spend. I mean, I could do a rough math for you. We we spend probably sixty percent. So we're spending probably dollar twenty to get a dollar in for year one, which is, which is very clean for an enterprise contract, right? Yeah. Like, and then, of course, you know, we, we know that that's going to have an LTV of far more than that. Got it. And, and that's that's good, right? I, like for enterprise deals that are hitting 50, 70K, like I think 18 months is pretty normal. Uh, and yeah. even 24 or higher for companies that are like hyper-funded. Uh, so right. so that, that that's pretty cool. And what do you think is different? Like you, you've talked about all the similarities between being a race car driver and working with a team and uh, being a tech entrepreneur, what's what's different? Gosh, well, I guess the, the most obvious difference is when it comes to competitors on a race car, you 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 look at them, they're there, and you can see exactly what they you can see exactly what they're doing. I mean, you may not know what they're doing, but with their suspension and stuff behind the scenes, but you can see what lines they're taking when they accelerate, when they brake, and you can see all that stuff. Um, as an entrepreneur, when you when you definitely have you know you're out competitive in the marketplace. Um, you only really know what your competitors are doing after they've done it. So, hey, we've just done this deal. Hey, we've just done this partnership. Hey, we just launched this new tech. People aren't really telling you what they're going to do. Got it. It takes time to react because you, you only yeah. get information later on. This might be, again, another piece of We don't really look at our competitors very much. Sure. Um, you know, the reality is that even in racing, you can't overtake someone you're looking at because you can't follow them. Yeah. You've, got to be, you've got to be where they're not. And then, then you go around them. Um, and so it's kind of the same in business. Like, you know, if you look at your competitors, maybe copying you. So if you look sure. at them too much, then you're just, you're just wasting time. <laughs> doing what you're in a circle. Exactly. So, so, uh, so, so we really just kind of, we have our heads down. We've got, in fact, we feel we've got quite, the roadmap gives us quite a competitive advantage over anything else happening. Sure. Now it's just true execution on that. Sure. And as we, as we go towards the end of this, right? Like I have a, I have a, I have a few quick questions for you guys, yeah. right? uh, for, for you. Like, if you went back in time, right? Now, this is a situational question, but it's very specific to you, right? So if you went back in time and you went back to the 90s, to your 20-year-old self, you know, what advice would you give yourself? Would you, would you still say, go for it, become a race car driver? Or would you, would you just go into tech or something else up front? Like, how would you do I it? I definitely would have become, no, I mean, look, I, again, I, I would definitely become a race car driver. Okay, I, okay. Would, I would give myself some advice. As a twenty-year-old, I've had this conversation just with a staff member today. Yeah. As a, there's a there's a, a a belief that the that conscious um, consequences do not get wired into your brain between twenty-five and thirty years old because you have enough failure and problems to really have the muscle memory to go. If I do this, it has a consequence, right? Mm-hmm. And so, as a young person, you kind of just feel that everything's great, and then what I do is all going to turn out well. And um, and my my. Advice to my younger self would be, don't. I was a I was a driver in the race car, but I was a passenger in my career. I had other people mm-hmm. tell me they were going to help me, other management companies, other people just saying yep. we'll help raise your sponsorship. And 
you know, maybe the illusions of grandeur got to my head, maybe the success got to my head, I was doing very well. And I let I let my I became a passenger in my own career. Got it. And and that's the exact conversation I had with a BDR today that came to my office. I want to chat to him about how he's approaching the role. And he's 24 years old. And I said, look, dude, like you just owe it to yourself if you're gonna turn up to the office to give it a hundred percent. Because no one else is gonna do it for you. And don't be a passenger. Like if something's not working for you or something you don't Speak yep. to someone, even if it's even if it's it. your manager. But take, take control, control, right? Yeah, with that, be in more control. Don't just don't just look around at everyone else saying they're going to make it okay for me. So, so I take it you're not a go with the flow guy. <laughs> like, I'm, a, I'm a not a go with the flow guy at all. Yeah, I totally understand. And, and what's your personal situation like now, Jonathan? Are you are you married? Are you single? Are you, are you seeing somebody? Happily married, two young children. I'm a late bloomer, so I'm 49 years old, and I've got two young daughters, a five-year-old and soon-to-be seven-year-old, going on 17. That's awesome. That's and, awesome. Uh, and again, like so, you know, just maybe I've had children younger in life, but I was such a workaholic. Yeah. I, I'm a workaholic. I work seven days a week. I work whenever my phone beeps. I'm just I can't switch off. So uh, yeah. I don't think I would have had time for children when I was. And, younger. and do you have any pets as well? Like do you have dogs? Yeah, one cats? Cat. Thanks for asking. Got a cat. How um, old? Is the cat uh, older than the kids? We're or not younger? sure. It's the rescue cat. So we're not sure how old she was when we got her, but she was, we think she's around twelve. Had her for ten years. Oh wow. Yeah. incredible that's that, that's awesome yeah. and and thanks for doing this john I, I'm, I'm sure jonathan that i'm sure folks are going to find this useful listening to your journey and knowing anything's possible right you go from driving race cars to starting a tech company and and i, I think becoming a millionaire because I, I'm, I'm sure you are one now which is incredible depends what currency you're looking at but i am um, <laughs> I, I, I would say this sean I, I think that if i was ever if i ever write a book it's to give people hope that the least orthodox roots can still lead to success, but it's down to the person. Like no one's given me anything along the way, right? I had to beg, borrow, fight for everything. And I'm still fighting today. And that's what gets me up in the morning is to get up and see how I can do something someone else couldn't. And and I think if you want to be an entrepreneur, you've got to get used to being told no a hundred times and still find a way to make it yes. Cool. That 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 feels a lot like uh, Rocky Balboa. Keep keep you know keep keep getting up and hit back. <laughs> that's it. Oh, that's, that's amazing. It, it, it's a limit. Don't 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 get punched in the face fifty times. If you don't change, and die. Tactics, you're silly, right? Just change <laughs> tactics, but just keep trying. That's incredible, Jonathan. Thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. Have a great one.